This semester on Carolina Connection, our reporters have covered multiple ways in which the North Carolina General Assembly has been attempting to create a shift in the state's educational systems. Hannah Noel covered proposed changes to teaching methods in state public schools, and Sophie Mallinson covered a controversial proposal right here at UNC Chapel Hill. Today on Carolina Cast, I'm joined by Sophie and Hannah to talk about their reporting and political influence in education as a whole. Sophie and Hannah, thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. So, Hannah, I want to start with you. Um, earlier this semester, you reported on North Carolina Senate Bill 49, um, often called like the Parents' Bill of Rights. Uh, opponents have referred to this as a don't say gay bill. Uh, can you explain a little bit about what that means uh, in, in this bill in particular? Yeah, so Senate Bill 49, or the Parents' Bill of Rights, was a bill introduced at the beginning of February by Republican senators. Uh, The main sponsors of the bill were Senator Michael Lee of New Hanover County and Senator Amy Gailey of Alamance and Randolph Counties. And the idea behind the bill is essentially just to explicitly state and solidify the rights of parents in terms of their child's education. Um, It was essentially framed as a means of giving parents more of a say in their child's education, including them in their decisions around the subject and things of that nature. Yeah, so we've seen similar kinds of bills pop up in different legislatures around the country, specifically in um, Florida. Um, So how does this bill compare to other bills of its type introduced in usually Republican-controlled legislatures? Yeah, so in particular, that Florida bill, um, it took a place back in um, 2022. It took effect, and it was titled the Parental Rights and Education Bill. So it essentially prohibited classroom discussion about sexual orientation and gender identity for students in kindergarten through third grade in Florida, um, which shares similarities with SB 49 here in North Carolina. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But the issue that many people found with the Florida bill was essentially that it lumps together topics like gender identity and ones like pornography, which can perpetuate really harmful stereotypes um, about LGBTQ plus individuals. Um, But on the opposing side, it was framed as a parental rights issue, um, wanting to kind of bring parents into the um, role of education for their children's public schools. So as for how this bill relates to the North Carolina bill, um, the one in North Carolina essentially lays out a list of rights for parents um, regarding their child's public school education. And it includes some rights that already existed, like the right to withhold consent for your child to participate in reproductive education in their health class. Uh, but it also added some new rights, which are very significant. Uh, this includes things like parents being informed of what their child checks out from the school library, uh, informing parents if a student wants to change their name or pronouns in school records, as well as if, um, or as well as the notification if a student comes to a teacher or their school staff member about a mental health concern. Um, And the biggest thing that the bill did here is it explicitly banned instruction on gender identity, sexual activity, and sexuality for those in kindergarten through fourth grade. Yeah, so those are some pretty broad terms that, that the bill restricts, especially, you know, considering sexuality. Sexuality extends to, you know, straight sexualities. So I imagine it'd be it, it adds some uh, some roadblocks for teaching things like spouses of historical figures. That that seems counterintuitive to me. How did how how does that work with the bill? Yeah, that's a big concern for those in opposition of the bill. Um, but it does seem like that um, reference to sexuality is 
referring to non-straight individuals um, just because of the language of the rest of the bill. Um, and those in opposition have um, expressed concern about, you know, if a child does raise a question, um, even though there is language in the bill um, saying that if a child is the one to bring forward a question about sexuality, um, especially regarding their family, things of that nature, that teachers can discuss these topics. Uh, but a lot of teachers have said they just wouldn't be comfortable because there's not very clear lines. Like, as you said, these are very broad terms. Um, so, you know, if a student brings about their um, their dads or their moms or asks why another student has two dads or, you know, things of that nature, um, there could be some concern there from teachers um, not quite knowing what the repercussions will be, where the line is, things like that. Are there any like other, you know, concerns uh, that uh, the opposition feels uh, about this bill? Yeah. So the biggest thing here is just that they feel that these policies uh, could target LGBTQ plus youth, especially those with unsupportive parents or even possibly abusive situations at home. Uh, you know, school is a safe space for so many students. Um, and many worry that this could undermine that safe space for them, um, not being able to come to their teachers with things or school staff that they trust. Um, they're also concerned about the bill placing an undue burden on teachers and school officials and forcing them to possibly out students that may not be ready. And this bill does include an exemption um, for if a child is in an, a known abusive home environment and sharing that sensitive, inf sensitive information like a pronoun change or if they come to a teacher, you know, with mental health concerns, um, if that information uh, could bring about an abusive or unsafe situation for them, uh, there is that caveat there. Uh, but, you know, people don't always know when a student is in an abusive situation at home. They can't always know what's going to happen if they bring forward that information. And teachers are definitely concerned about this. Uh, they're also concerned that keeping teachers from having those discussions in classrooms like sexual orientation, gender identity, things that we discussed before would stifle the learning environment and that school is a place where those conversations need to start at an age appropriate level and they can bring about those thoughts as they are discussed by students and as students want to learn about them. And this would just make teachers a little nervous about what they can and can't talk about. Where's the bill in the legislature right now? Yeah, so the bill is currently making its way through the House. Um, there hasn't been a ton that's happened since it was passed um, in early February there in the Senate. Uh, so we're unsure about how long it would stay there and what exactly uh, or when exactly it will be voted on uh, at the moment. Uh, so it's a bit up in the air right now. Uh, but what we do know is that Governor Roy Cooper shared criticism of the bill before it was passed. So that's kind of that there. We'll just have to kind of wait and see what unfolds with it. Yeah, thank you. So moving from children's education to more young adults, uh, specifically here at UNC, uh, we're going to turn to talk about the School of Civic Life and Leadership. Uh, so Sophie, in January, the UNC Board of Trustees, they unanimously passed a resolution to establish this new school at UNC. But the decision was, you know, immediately criticized by faculty. Uh, with many questioning the new school's like political role and purpose here. Um, can you explain just what this new school is and why people are so upset about it? Yeah. So one thing I want to make clear is that in the resolution at the trustees meeting, 
nowhere was the word conservative ever used, yet um, critics are kind of seeing this as an attempt to establish a conservative space on campus. There's a lot of reasons for that, and I want to kind of lay those out. So first, I want to say that the way the trustees have described their vision, the way people like Provost Chris Clemens have described their vision for the school is they're saying that this is going to be a place where students can develop skills to debate with people and have conversations with people of different political viewpoints. They're saying this school is essentially necessary to preserve democracy as polarization increases. Now, on paper, that might sound good, but obviously there's a lot more to it than that, Um, with the concern really being that this isn't going to be a school for all students, but that's specifically catering toward conservative viewpoints. Um, One of the main reasons for that kind of thought process is because of the media interactions from trustees that happened pretty much just after they passed the resolution. So literally just hours after the board announced the resolution, the Wall Street Journal uh, published an editorial called UNC Takes on the Echo Chamber, um, and it called universities uh, saying it said that universities were dominated by woke politics. Um, and this editorial included direct quotes from Trustee Pryor in it. Um, and then just a couple days after the resolution was announced, um, Chairman Bullock went on Fox News. He said that there was Uh, kind of a shortage of right of center views on campus, whereas there's an abundance of left of center views and progressive views, and that this was specifically an effort to try to remedy that, and that it was uh, equal opportunity for both views to be taught. So what we're seeing here is conservative news outlets really praising this decision. Um, and And it's something that trustees were specifically saying is to get more conservative views on campus. They're saying that this is going to combat cancel culture um, at the trustee meeting where they passed this resolution. Um, so they're doing all this. And meanwhile, they're blindsiding the faculty while this was happened, at least according to um, a faculty council meeting that happened a few days after this resolution was passed, um, with the idea essentially being that the media knew about this school before the faculty did. Um, so faculty have traditionally kind of been involved in laying the groundwork for new schools, also with powers granted to them by the faculty code of university conduct. Um They're supposed to be in charge of curriculum and hiring and then have the board of trustees kind of approve things. But what we're seeing here is kind of the opposite order with the board approving something without including um, the faculty, uh, people like those on the faculty council. So can you speak a little bit more about the, you know, the faculty reaction to, to this happening? As I mentioned um, very briefly, so a few days after the resolution, the faculty council um, did meet with Provost Chris Clemens and Chancellor Guskowitz um, in a, a Zoom meeting, and it was pretty tense. A lot of the faculty particularly took issue with this idea that a special new school is needed to help students develop these skills of debate and political tolerance, essentially. Um, They took issue with that because it kind of implies that or makes it seem like professors aren't already doing that, like they're not already teaching students how to consider different viewpoints, um, disagree or cultivate a tolerant environment. 
Um, and then there's that idea of balancing out the faculty that Chairman Bullock was saying on Fox News was one of uh, the driving factors of creating this school to him. Um, so let's talk about the faculty real quick. So in a survey last year done by uh, a group called College Fix, it's a conservative news source, they found that there is a 16 to 1 ratio of Democrat to Republican professors on UNC's campus. Um, however, yeah, the, the chancellor said people won't be hired based off their political affiliation. So that idea of balancing out the faculty, what does that really even mean there? There's that question. Um, but then there's also the fact that a professor's political affiliation isn't an inherent indicator as to what they're teaching. Just because a professor is a Democrat doesn't mean they're not creating a space for different viewpoints. So those were a few of the the issues that really came up during that faculty council meeting. Yeah, but I mean, one of the trustees' main arguments for this school is that students are self-censoring on campus, specifically conservative students. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that, that, that rationale? Self-censoring, yeah. So this idea of self-censoring um, is that students are not sharing their views uh, on a subject out of fear of being shamed or ridiculed by their peers. Um, now, a UNC survey from last year did turn up data about this, finding that conservative students in the survey claim to self-censor more than liberal students. Uh, more than half of conservative respondents to the survey said they self-censor, whereas about 9% of liberal respondents said they did. Um, a few notes, those are the views of the respondents to the survey. Um, that survey had a response rate of about 11%. So there might be some kind of wiggle room going on there as well. You said there were a lot of reasons of why this school resolution kind of sparked concerns. Um, what were some more of the, of the reasons behind that? One that comes to mind is how the trustees are actually put in place. Our Republican-controlled General Assembly appoints four of the trustees, and the others are elected by the UNC Board of Governors. The governors, in turn, are appointed by our Republican-controlled General Assembly. So there is kind of this questioning of motives, given that there, there is kind of this connection to people who do have direct political interests with uh, all the trustees kind of in one form of another being appointed or elected uh, essentially by the Republican-controlled General Assembly here in North Carolina. Um, but also one thing I want to bring up is that we can take this all the way back to 2017, really. While he wasn't provost at the time, Clemens said in an email that he wanted to gauge the administration's interest in housing a conservative center on campus. Um, so the School of Civic Life and Leadership, this school originated in a draft budget memo from Clemens, according to him. Uh, he said he didn't know the trustees were going to vote on a resolution for it, but some faculty certainly brought up this old statement wondering if this school is another push for that conservative center. But even with as much contention this recent move caused, the chancellor at least has emphasized that a lot of this should be in the faculty's hands moving forward. Got it. Hannah, Sophie, thank you both for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You can hear more from both Hannah and Sophie and all of our other Carolina Connection reporters on our website at carolinaconnection.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Christensen. Thanks for listening.